All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of First Peter. Now, today we're going to go to the final chapter of First Peter. But first, let's do a quick review. The overall idea and theme of First Peter is the just suffering unjustly in a world that is persecuting them or in instances or situations to the which they are not being treated right. They are being treated in a harsh or a cruel way. And basically what Peter was doing was letting us see that Christ, he did this twice, was the ultimate example for all believers in how they should suffer, how they should even be willing to suffer. And one of the key words that we saw continuously, and we see this word all throughout first Peter, hupotasso, which is submission to willingly submit yourselves to get in order underneath. That's the idea, basically a military term. So Peter's pre predominant idea was submission to the proper authorities, where the authorities is the government or whether in the whether in uh, domestic relations such as a slave to the master or we can understand it even today an employee to the employer or even in so much as the wife to the husband and even in such cases as in cases of mistreatment they are not treating you in the manner in which they should treat you nevertheless peter's point is it is never good, it is not proper, it is sinful to still undermine the order of God. Still submit yourselves, okay? And then again, he says in that final domestic situation to the husband, even to wives, and the idea is not that the husband submits to the wife, but that sometimes the wife can be rebellious and obstinate, still with wisdom and thoughtfulness dwell with her. Okay. And finally, he begins to talk about it. And here's where we left off in chapter four. As Peter is speaking to these Jewish Christians, and we understand there is, uh, or should I even say there are applications to all the words that Peter was saying for the most part to Christians as a whole, there is a principal application, but nevertheless, he brings it in in chapter four and says, you're going out because they have been scattered because of persecution. We see that in chapter chapter one. You're going out into a Gentile world, a pagan world of unbelieving people and idolaters who live in all kinds of ways, ungodly ways. So therefore, you ought to live holy and godly in an unbelieving Gentile world, even if and as they mistreat you that in the day of visitation, that is, if the Lord should by his grace save some of them, they will understand why you do what you do, why you live, how you live. And this brings to a completion in chapter four, that is being willing to suffer even for the sake of Christ in the midst of an ungodly world. So as we come to chapter five and the end of this chapter, and we should be able to finish it pretty neatly in one video, Peter sums up, or should I even say, he brings to conclusion his words to these Christians, in particular to the church of these believers. Okay. Verse one, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ 
and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proven to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so now let's talk about this. So Peter's final words to these Christians is to the elders and the leaders of the church. And so we're going to break it down. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we do need to look at all of these particular descriptive ways into the which Peter commands the elders of the church to what we would say nowadays to pastor the church or to pastor the flock of God. So Peter addresses them with respect to his own position in the church. Peter says, I address, I am exhorting. That is the sense of, that is a sense of commanding and encouraging the elders within the body of Christ as Peter himself is what? An elder of the church. Peter, and we can even say not just simply an elder of the church, Peter is an apostle of the, of the church itself to the which, to the whom Jesus gave the authority over the church at large. So therefore Peter has the authority to command the body of Christ, even in particular to these elders themselves. And he calls himself a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Again, we see that key word suffering and also too, what Peter is saying all throughout the letter, Peter is saying how you should be willing to suffer, be obedient and live in this manner. What the manner that I have been telling you to live even in your sufferings. Why? I myself am both an elder and I am an eyewitness to the sufferings of Jesus. I saw how Jesus suffered and I also saw how Jesus lived. Okay. So he identifies himself in that way as one who has the authority to say so one who has observed the behavior of Jesus, even in his times in, in that he suffered and how Jesus conducted himself. And even as one, what he was talking about early in chapter one, looking forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ to the glory that is to be revealed. So what does he say to the shepherds or even as we can say to pastors in our day and time to shepherds and elders and pastors and bishops of our churches, shepherd the flock of God amongst you and notice the terminology that he uses, the terminology that we see in Psalm 23, the gentleness of God, towards his people to shepherd. But remember the shepherd both has what he has a staff of guidance and the shepherd Psalm 23 has a rod of correction, but whatever the shepherd is to do with respect to the sheep, knowing that those sheep are not his sheep, but the sheep of Christ, whether it is in what guiding in teaching and instruction or rod of correction, rebuke he is to do so knowing that what this these people are the sheep of Christ and it is these people that Jesus died for so it is with so much carefulness that he is to not rule over them but what 
guide them to shepherd them in the manner in which the Lord would have him to do so. But let's keep going. Exercising the oversight without compulsion, not under compulsion. If a person is to be made a leader, a pastor of a church, the person should never do so because the people have simply compelled him to do so. It is, it is always to be what? Voluntarily. It is because you have a desire to lead God's people, to shepherd God's people, and to serve God's people. Notice, according to the will of God, this is the will of God, that no person should be mandated into service of God, but the person should always be willing. If ever there is an individual who shows any symptom of being unwilling to serve, then that person should not be serving. Serving is not required. Serving is something done voluntarily of the will. Again, he continues to say, not of sordid gain. Now, and that speaks for itself, not because of what you can get, not because of how much money you can make, not because of looking uh, uh, forward and abusing the people and, and all of this. This is where so much false teaching come from. And this is a lesson within itself. But since I'm only doing the commentary on Peter, allow me to restrict myself simply to say these words that a pastor's heart should not be a heart of greed. You are not seeking to pastor because you see uh, this is an opportunity so that I can enrich myself. And we see that all the time, especially in our culture today, in what we call these mega ministries with the mega churches and all of this, so much of it is done simply for the money. But instead of doing it for the money, do it with eagerness. That is the eagerness to serve the people of God. This is what we're looking to do. And this should be the heart of every minister to challenge yourself. Ask yourself, why am I doing what I am doing? Why am I saying what I am saying? Is it for the glory of God and for the edification of his people? If it falls outside of these categories, you should rethink what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then he just simply says what? And Noah as lording it over those that are allotted to your charge. And some, and, 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 okay, the idea, sometimes we see that pastors sometimes become kings in their little kingdoms. They become lords over the people that they are given to serve. This is the wrong mentality. Pastors are not kings. As a matter of fact, pastors, by definition of Jesus, are slaves to the congregation. Not slaves to the will of the congregation. But what did Jesus say? Those who are considered to be the greatest amongst you shall be what? The servants, the slaves of all. So the pastor or the, or the elders or the teaching elders and pastors and teachers in the body of Christ are not so much to walk around as people in charge and bossing people around. Of course, authority goes along with the charge, but this is not the mentality and the way that one should carry oneself not lording your authority, not lording your charge, not lording your, your job of shepherding the people. 
over the flock, not bossing people as if you are king and they are your servants, but you are to serve them, but proven to be what? Examples of the flock. That is the life of the pastor should be a life that can be emulated by any member of the church. And when a pastor and shepherd fails such a life, one needs to repent. And if it comes to certain points, one of them might need to be removed. Okay. But the idea simply is to say that the life of the pastor should be one who desires to serve, to benefit the flock of God, one who does not see himself as a, uh, some type of overlord, but one who sees and serves as an example to the flock, not looking to get rich because of his position, but trying simply to bless the people of God. Why? The chief shepherd will one day appear. When the chief shepherd appears, there is a special crown that God will give the elders of the church. There is a unique crown. And here's what is specified in verse number four. When Jesus appears, they will receive an unfading crown of glory. Now, I'm not going to get into uh, the discussion of the different type of crowns, but needless to say, there are a number of crowns that believers will receive when Jesus returns. And to faithful pastors, he has promised to receive a crown of unfading glory. So there will be a special crown given to leaders of God's people for serving in this capacity that God has spoken of. Okay. So now let's continue. Verse number five, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. So now he continues in the sense of how one, how certain ones, how all of the members, all of the members of the body of Christ, of the church, are to conduct themselves. And now he concentrates on the young men in the church. And we can understand young men and the mentality. And as we say, and I come and say all the time, you're young and they think they know everything and they have so much energy and they always have such great desire to do things. And if you didn't watch, they'll just really take over. There is always in the flesh, in the, in our sinful flesh, this desire to rule, not to be subject, not to submit oneself. But notice Peter continues that same theme of submission to the group that is to young men to do what? You young men don't rebel against the elders because the elders were usually considered to be older men in the church. You don't know everything and neither has God set the order in the church where the young men rule the church, but the elders should rule and shepherd the church. You young men do what? You be subject to the elders. It's not for you to take it over, but be subject, listen to their wisdom and learn from their experience. But the bottom line is what? Everybody, 
young men, old men, women in the church, whatever your assigned role is from God himself. The only way you will fulfill these roles as God has determined for you, whether you are the elder, men of the church, younger and elder, these are the rulers of the church, younger men of the church, or the women who are even commanded to be in submission to the church, not to teach, not to be in authority. First Timothy chapter two, the only way you will accomplish the assigned role that God has given you, you must clothe yourself with humility. And that is, as you always hear me say, if you've been listening, listening to me for any manner of time, that's our problem. The problem with us is pride. We want to do what we want. We think too much of ourselves. We want to be autonomous. We want to be self-governing. And then we want to bring such an attitude of pride and obstinacy and self-governing spirit into the church of God. And we expect God to accept it. In other words, you know what, God, I'm going to serve you like I want to serve you. And you need to accept that God rejects such prideful behavior. And this is what Peter is trying to say. What? Humble yourself. Why? Because God is opposed to such activity, to this mindset. God opposes the pride, but what is the proud? But what does he do? Those who humble themselves. And what is the sense of humility here? Submission, submission, submission to the authorities that God himself has ordered in the church. God, he does what? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And knowing this, knowing that God gives grace, that God loves such humility, what should you do? You should therefore what? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he will exalt you. Young men, when the time comes for you to be elders, presbyteros is the word that is used here, that God may exalt you if this is the will of God, or even in times to come when the Lord himself shall appear, he will tell you well done and then exalt you at that time. But until then, remain humble and be under submission be under authority, should I say. That's the proper way of saying it. Knowing what? No matter what the difficulties of life, verse number seven, what? God cares for you. Don't try to find, again, that excuse for not humbling yourself. Don't try to find an excuse for not being obedient as God has said for you to do. Don't try to find an excuse for not being in submission to whatever authority that God has put over your head, whether to the government or whether slaves to masters, that is employees to employers, whether the husband who has authority over the wife, whatever the case is, cast any, all, any and all of your anxieties, the difficulties, your sufferings upon God, knowing God is watching and he does care for you as you are experiencing these things. Okay. So now let's continue on. 
as he speaks to the he speaks to the body of the church of believers at large in how they should conduct themselves and think think about their lives and how they conduct themselves in this evil world verse number eight be of sober spirit be on alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world after you have suffered for a little while the god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself perfect confirm strengthen and establish you okay so then he continues he says all right live soberly don't get caught up in all of this foolishness that is happening around you and we need to be careful too we don't need to get caught up in the foolishness in this world we don't need to bring the world's politics into our church we don't need to bring the world's system of belief into, excuse me, we don't need to bring the world's system of beliefs into our church. Homosexuality, transgenderism, the order of the world, which is no order at all. The world does what it please. But as God's people, God has given us a system of order. When we walk into the doors of the church, there is a divine order that God has given for all activities in the church. When we live in our Christian homes and live our Christian lives, there is a divine order that God has given us. And we need to be careful at all times not to allow the, the order that God has given for our lives to become polluted with the filthy system, filthy godlessness of this world. We need to be sober. Why? Because the devil is always looking for ways to enter into the lives of God's people, ways to attack God's people, ways to steal kill and destroy. And he just simply says, what? Well, because the devil is always so busy going about to and fro like a lion looking for God's people to pounce upon them and to destroy them. So be mindful why the devil is always trying to seek an opportunity to gain an entrance into your churches and to your lies. But what does he say? And I like verse number nine, but resist him now. And I'm not going to make a big to do out of this. I'm going to just simply say he didn't say to put your foot on the devil. You cannot put your foot on the highest order of being that God himself has created the most glorious being, the most knowledgeable being that God has created. Ezekiel chapter 28. Even what it is saying in the book of Jude, when Michael, the chief of angels, spoke unto to Satan, what? The Lord rebuke you. In other words, it's not for us to put our foot on the devil because you're going to get your leg broken. It is simply to resist, the, resist Satan in the faith. Resist him by the word of God. 
resist him by what the scriptures teach. Why? Knowing what? Even though we're suffering, even though here, there are a lot of the Christians here, and we are sufferings. Our sufferings are not unique. And so let me just simply say that and make it a short point. When Christians suffer in all manner and types and various kinds of trials of sufferings, whatever that type of sufferings may be, it is not unique. Or even as Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, everything that has been, is being done has been done before. And so such sufferings of Christians is not unique amongst us, but it is even commonplace. And it, it has its high places and its low places. It intensifies and then it cools off. But nevertheless, we are still responsible before God to live the lives that God has commanded for us to live. In verse number 10, he says what? And after suffering for a little while, the God of all grace. I like that statement in the Greek, even though I'm not going to deal with it. But in the Greek, he actually places the things concerning God first, not the sufferings first, but God first. The glory is set upon God and what God does and even what God allows. And that is the sufferings in the lives of his people. God allows these things, but he doesn't allow it always and i like there's a song that says i'm so glad that trouble doesn't last always and this fits that to a t that you suffer for a little while and even if you suffer all your life how do you compare the short years of your life to eternity itself it is still suffering for a little while but what does god do through these sufferings and that's the beauty of it he perfects he confirms, he strengthens, and he establishes you. Suffering is with a purpose. Suffering comes to sanctify the believer and to conform the believer into the very image of Christ. Our sufferings make us what God desires for us to be. And in the end, what does he say? It establishes you. Okay, so now let's finish out 1 Peter chapter 5. And he concludes the writing of this letter to him, to God, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Savannah's our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. So he ends his letter, that is, to gl glory to God, for that is the very idea of why we live. It is the essence of all things, why God has done all things. Dominion, praise, and glory to God. And then he talks about his stenographer, the one who, Peter, who wrote this letter for Peter. And now here's where Peter takes over the letter and writes it with his own hand. But he has been dictating the letter thus far. So it is Savannah's. He calls him a faithful brother who has what written this letter. And Peter says briefly, that is everything that he has been saying from chapter one, chapter five is not been a long letter. It's been a short letter. And he, and I have been testifying to you what, that this is the true grace of God. So Savannah's wrote the letter that Peter dictated to him. Peter now takes over the letter 
and finishes the end of the letter and, and rereads it, of course, and signs it and sends it off to the churches, right? And then he says, testifying, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I like that. What do you mean? What, what is Peter trying to say? Everything that I have been saying to you in this letter about being submissive, about being obedient to all of the different groups that I have been speaking to, humbling yourselves, don't be prideful, be obedient, be submissive to whatever order that God has placed in your life. This is the true grace of God. And if anybody got anything to say about it, they don't know what they're talking about. I know, even as Peter has said earlier in this chapter, what? I have witnessed such a grace in the life of Jesus himself. I have witnessed this by personal example of Jesus. So therefore, what I am saying to you in your submission and your obedience, you do that. Stand firm in it. Then he says a cryptic, somewhat what a cryptic, maybe confusing statement about she who is in Babylon. Now, I'm not going to get through getting all of the stuff that people are talking about. When some say that Peter is talking about his wife because Peter is writing from Babylon himself and therefore he is referring to his wife. Some say that this is a cryptic reference to Rome because what? Uh, the, there is a persecution of Christians by Rome and Peter doesn't want to further incite Christian persecutions by Rome through this letter. And so he calls it Babylon. And then there are others who believe that Peter is actually in Babylon where there are a, uh, because remember ever since the 586 BC destruction of Babylon, there was a great number of Jews living in Babylon. So Peter is there in Babylon amongst other Jewish believers as he writes this particular letter. So there are three uh, things that either one of them can be true, but my personal belief is by the very nature and tenor of the letter, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you, Peter is speaking as from one church to another church in a similar way that we see in the epistles of John, when John talks about these things, okay? Not so much as in a cryptic sense, but Peter is actually living in Babylon from which he wrote this letter from amongst other Christians in Babylon, all right? And so that's basically how he ends his letter. And so he just simply says to greet one another with a holy kiss, a kiss of love and peace be to all of you. It was a common greeting, uh, early Christian greetings, to greet Christians with a kiss, a holy kiss kiss, kiss of love. All right. So now we have finished and completed the first epistle of Peter and the very theme of Peter itself, as we have seen consistently throughout is the theme of suffering unjustly, but nevertheless, even though you may be suffering or be mistreated, live in a way that honors God. And what way is this to be submissive, to be obedient to the authorities that exist, whether that authority be what the government, the authority should be what again, the slave master or the authority should be what the husband live in a submission, submissive factor, even finally finishing up all of this, all of this epistle, chapter five, what 
in the church. Elders have the right mindset. Pastors think properly how you ought to serve the people of God. You are not to rule over them as some overlord. You are not to see them as some sort of a cash cow, but you are to humbly serve them for their benefit. Looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And not only the elders, young men have humility amongst yourself. Submit yourself to the elders. Everybody in the church have a mindset and a spirit of humility, knowing that God is well pleased with such a mindset. And whatever difficulties that you have concerning the things that I have spoken to you, how you need to obey, how you, you need to submit yourself to such authorities, whatever hardships you're having, give it to Jesus. Pray about them. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares that you are suffering and Jesus will help you to live in a way that pleases him. And don't be surprised because you're going through these types of sufferings because what? Even your brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have already or are going through the same experiences. And this, this word that I have given you is the grace of God. So therefore, obey it. Okay. And that is the teaching of first Peter. Now we thank God for that. And uh, I tell you what, before we end it, let's give God a word of thanks. Father, we thank you for this beautiful word and help us dear Lord, because we are in a time in which everybody wants to do what is right in their own eyes. Nobody wants to be submissive and nobody wants to willingly subject themselves to the authority. Everybody wants to be the authority, whether it's authority over the government, there's rebellion there, authority over the boss on the job, rejection of that authority or authority in the home by the husband's headship. The husband is the head of the wife. There is great rejection in that. Everybody rejects and rebels against authority. And the very word that we see consistently in this letter, submit yourselves. And as Peter finally said, all of you be clothed with humility. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, that we might adorn this doctrine of God, that Jesus might be well pleased with us. Bless the pastors who hear this word, that we have the right spirit, what we do, why we do in service to Jesus's people. Always remember, always remember, those are not your people. They are the people of the Lord. So serve them with fear. Thank you, Father, for this teaching. Bless the heart of your, bless, bless your word and bless the hearers of your word. In Jesus name we pray, amen. All right, guys, if you have enjoyed these teachings and you can say that you have been blessed Will you help me to continue this ministry? There is always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. So if God has touched your heart and you want to see this word continue by your humble servant, then support me. But anyway, God bless you. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next time.